All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the letter of 2 Corinthians. In this session, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. But before we jump into that, let me just mention, if you're looking for just general help reading the Bible well and figuring out how to put it into practice in your life, I've got a free ebook on my listener's commentary website that you can check out completely free. Just put your name and your email and you'll get access to that ebook. And it gives five practices for hearing scripture well, reading it well, and five practices for applying it to your life, for heeding scripture. So it's a guide to help you hear and heed the scriptures. Completely free at listenerscommentary.com. So that sounds helpful to you. You might check that out. It's about a 30-page ebook, completely free, and I think it's incredibly valuable for giving you guidance on how to read and apply scripture to your life. All right, let's jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, and let's set it in context. Recall that Paul ended chapter 4 by talking about the eternal weight of glory. In chapter 4, verse 17, what he said was, Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory that's far beyond all comparison. Well, this section here in chapter 5, 1 through 10 is explaining at least some of what Paul has in mind by the eternal weight of glory. And so, as such, it continues to describe, really, the engine that drives Paul's ministry. Um, his ministry embodies the, the suffering of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, Paul said in chapter 4. And Paul said there in chapter 4, he doesn't lose heart. Well, here in chapter 5, he's going to say the, that he's of good courage in the face of all of that. And so chapter 5, 1 through 10, really continues to describe this, this motivating engine that drives Paul, and it has to do with his hope. So notice that chapter 5, verse 1, begins with the word for, for. And that means uh, this section is explaining what he said at the end of chapter 4. In chapter 4, Paul said he doesn't lose heart because he knows that he will be resurrected someday just as Jesus was resurrected. And so even though he endures much difficulty and suffering, and even though his body is wearing out and deteriorating, he knows that death isn't the end. He knows that hardship and suffering isn't the final word. And therefore, he doesn't focus, he says at the end of chapter 4, he doesn't focus on what's seen because that's temporary. Instead, he focuses on the eternal weight of glory, the things that are not seen because they are eternal and they're what really is going to last and what's really real. And so this section here in 5, 1 through 10 describes some of what he has in mind by all of that. Now, before looking at the details of this paragraph, it's important that we note that this passage, 5, 1 through 10, has generated an awful lot of scholarly discussion. Tons of articles, tons of things written about this paragraph. And the primary reason for that is because Paul actually never gives here in 5, 1 through 10 a precise timeline for what he describes. And so some have suggested that, that Paul's view even changed from 1 Corinthians 15 to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, 
or at least maybe changed perspectives on some of that. And they contend that Paul teaches here that Christians actually get their new body immediately when they die. Now, admitting that there is a lack of precise timeline in uh, 5, 1 through 10 here, and that does create some ambiguity, I actually think it's better just more responsible and more fair to Paul to harmonize what he says here in this paragraph with what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 15 and what he teaches everywhere else in his letters. And everywhere else, Paul's consistent that uh, when, when believers die, they go to be with the Lord, and then at some point in the future, there will be a resurrection in the future. And that'll happen when Jesus returns, and Jesus at that point will give them their new glorified body. There's nothing here in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10 that actually goes against that kind of chronology of life, death, uh, being with the Lord, and resurrection that we see everywhere else in Paul's writings. So I think we should just read this section in uh, according to what Paul has said elsewhere. And here's what he says here. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, For we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made by hands, eternal in the heavens. Notice the word eternal there at the end of verse 1, eternal in the heavens. That word is just another way that what Paul says in this paragraph connects with the end of chapter 4, where he said that the things that are not seen are eternal. And so here he's really going to describe some of those eternal things. And what he says here is that we have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, what does this imagery refer to? The imagery he uses in verse 1 is an earthly tent versus an eternal house not made by hands. What is he getting at? Well, the imagery is the contrast between temporary and permanent. So the tent is temporary. The house is permanent. And that's really the focus and the force of the contrast that Paul is getting at here in 5.1 that sets the direction for the rest of the paragraph. And the imagery actually refers to our body. And so the earthly tent that is our current house and that's going to be torn down, that is our present physical body that is weak and dying. It's our present physical body that Paul described at the end of chapter 4 is decaying. Um, and so that is our temporary house. But even though that's going to be torn down, we actually have a building, he says in verse 1, from God. That is a house not made with hands. In other words, it's supernatural. It's made by God. And it's eternal. And so that's the contrast. A temporary tent-like dwelling that you can tear down and move on, right? That's our current body. And a permanent building from God. A supernatural, eternal house that's heavenly and from God himself. And that's the point. And so even though our present physical earthly body is going to be torn down, that is, it's going to die and just be dismantled like a tent, even though that's the case, we have a new body, a supernatural and eternal one um, that is permanent. 
That's what he's getting at in the language of verse 1 with this imagery. And Paul actually makes it explicit that he's talking about the body in verse 6. He mentions the body there. So we know that's what he's referring to by this imagery. And so the contrast is between a merely earthly body that is subject to death and a supernatural body that is fit for our eternal future. It's actually similar to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, which would actually be the background that the Corinthians would have in mind. They've received this letter within the last six months to a year, that and, and Paul's taught them some of the stuff. So that's the background they have in mind is what he says there. And in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, that letter, when Paul talks about the resurrection of the body, he contrasts Adam and Jesus, and then he draws a conclusion. Let me just read you a little excerpt from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 47 through 49, and then verse 50, so you can hear how that provides the background to what Paul says here. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, now, the first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. We're contrasting Adam, the earthy one, and Jesus, the one from heaven. As is the earthy one, so also are those who are earthy. As is the heavenly one, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy in our earthy body, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And so there in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul uses some of the same language that he's using here, earth and earthy. And he's making the point there in 1 Corinthians 15 that flesh and blood, this current physical earthy in Adam flesh can't inherit the kingdom of God. And that's the point Paul's making here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, namely that there is an imperishable future body for those who are in Christ. And Paul is saying if we should die at some point in the future before Christ returns, um, that's not the end of existence, and that's not the end even of bodily existence, that there will be a new resurrection body. We have that. And the present tense here in verse 1 is uh, expresses confident certainty that we're going we're gonna to inherit a new, eternal, supernatural, heavenly body someday. And so that's the point he's making here in verse 1 as he begins this paragraph. Then in verses 2 through 5, Paul goes on to explain this in a bit more. And what he explains is, is that in this present earthy tent that's going to be torn down, we long, we long for a better body, an undying body. And so here in this present tent, we are longing for a new and glorious eternal body. And so he says in verse 2, for indeed, in this tent we groan. Now, first thing to note is right there, uh, this particular translation translates this in this tent. Uh, and that's possible. It could be uh, in this tent. And so they've supplied the word tent as a suggestion for how to read the in this. But it's also possible grammatically that the in this just refers back to the whole of verse one. In other words, in view of this or knowing this, like in view of the fact that we know we're going to get this new body someday, we groan, we long. And either way you read it, 
What Paul means is, is that at the present, we groan because we want to put on that heavenly, eternal resurrection body. And so as this body deteriorates, we long, we groan. And so he says, in this, we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. That is uh, the one not made with hands, the one that's eternal from verse one. We long to be clothed with that since, in fact, after having put it on, we shall not be found naked. Now, notice here in verses two and three, Paul's actually changed metaphors. In verse one, it was tents and houses. Here, he kind of keeps that with the word dwelling, but he's also mixing it up with the, the imagery of putting on clothes. And Paul's famous for this, for mixing his metaphors. And so now we've really shifted from the imagery of tents and houses to that of clothing. And he says, what we long for is to actually be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, our heavenly body, our heavenly house that was just talked about in verse one. And the reason we want that is because after putting it on, he says in verse three is, we will not be found naked. And what does he mean by naked? Well, naked there refers to dying and leaving this earthly body behind. In fact, Greek philosophers sometimes actually use this very same word, the word for naked, uh, to describe a soul being freed from the body and finally being able to go into their destiny free from this, the confines of this body. But for Christians, that's not our goal. And that's not our destiny. The goal is not just to be a disembodied spirit or soul flittering and floating around somewhere. The goal, the thing we long for, is to put on our supernatural heavenly body, the resurrection body. In fact, again, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul makes the same point. And it's the background that the Corinthians would have in mind because they got that letter just a, a little while before they got the one we're reading right now. So 1 Corinthians 15, let me just read again another excerpt from this time from 52 to 55. 1 Corinthians 50, 15, 52 to 55 says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be resurrected imperishable. And, and we, that is we who are alive at that moment, whenever that happens, we will all be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And so our hope and our longing is not merely for the soul to be freed from the body and to be naked. We don't want to be naked, Paul says in verse 3. We actually long to be clothed with a glorious, heavenly, immortal body. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 4 here, For indeed, we who are in this tent groan, being burdened because we don't want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Do you hear the echo there in verse 4 of what we just read from 1 Corinthians 15? In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talked about death being swallowed up in victory and the 
mortal putting on immortality. And Paul is intentionally, I think, echoing the language of his previous letter so that they will, they will remember what he said and they'll, that'll help him interpret what he's writing right here. That, that's what we long for. This is our ultimate hope. I mean, like if we could skip death and go straight to the resurrection body, Paul says, man, that would be great. Like if Jesus returned and we never died, that would be great. But either way, our longing um, is for our heavenly body. And that's our destiny. That's what we're looking forward to. Not to be released from the body, but to put on a new eternal supernatural body so that mortality will be swallowed up by life. Now, all of this, Paul says in verse 5, is according to God's purposes and God's plans. And so he says in verse 5, Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. So God's the one who prepared us for this. God, this is God's intent. God's plan is uh, to give us this new and improved supernatural body. In fact, right now, in the present, he's given us the Holy Spirit as a pledge of this future that we're looking forward to. And that word pledge, erebone in Greek, means down payment, right? It's a deposit guaranteeing the final outcome. And so now currently we have the spirit and that's that's our guarantee that we're going to be resurrected someday. That's how we can be certain um, of this new body that we're going to have. So that's the ultimate goal, to receive a heavenly immortal body someday when Jesus returns. But what happens if we die before Jesus returns? Well, in verses 6 and following, Paul actually begins to describe the implications of this hope. We know our hope is for a new eternal body. What are the implications of that? And re recall the connection with verse 4. Um, that Paul says he doesn't lose heart because he's focused on eternal things. Well, now he's going to actually state the opposite of losing heart is being of good courage. And Paul says, I'm of good courage. I don't lose heart. Instead, I'm of good courage. And the reason I'm of good courage, even if I were to die, that's still better off than the situation right now. And so the ultimate hope is resurrection, but death is still means uh, brings good to the believer in Jesus and will bring good to Paul. And so in verses 6-3, we get the first implication of this hope. He says in verse 6, Therefore, uh, drawing out the implications, therefore, being always of good courage, right? Not losing heart, as he said in chapter 4, but being of good courage. And here's what he knows. And knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. So Paul knows that. Like right now, at the present state, we're dwelling in this, this temporary earthly body, the tent that's going to be torn down. And one of, the, one of the things that means is we're actually separated from the Lord. We're absent from the Lord. We can't actually go and be with him. In fact, he says in verse 7, For right now we walk by faith, not by sight. That's what it means. Residing in this current body means being away from Jesus and thus having to go about life by faith, not by sight. But verse 8, but we are of good courage. He restates that. He's of good courage and actually prefer to be absent from the body so that we could be at home with the Lord. And so Paul knows that if death comes, if, he, if, if his uh, current earthly tent is torn down 
and he's left naked, uh, right? And he doesn't have his resurrection body yet. He's still of good courage. Why? Because uh, he knows that if, if death comes, he will get to go and be with the Lord. And that's preferable. In fact, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 22 and following, Paul says, actually, that would be better by far. Like, even though it's not the ultimate hope, and even though we would prefer not to be found naked, as he just said, um, going, dying and going to be with Jesus is still better by far than our current state of affairs. So our ultimate hope is resurrection, but our immediate hope uh, is of dying and getting to be with the Lord. And that, even that helps Paul be of good courage in the face of suffering and weakness, and hardship, and even the demise of his earthly body. These are some of the eternal, unseen things that Paul keeps his focus on as he goes about his ministry. And what's the outcome of all of that for his life? How does that affect the way Paul carries out his life? Right? He's of good courage. He knows he's going to be with the Lord, and he knows someday he's going to get a resurrection body. So how does that affect what Paul does? Well, look at verses 9 and 10. Paul says this, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, in view of this, in view of the fact that resurrection is guaranteed and being with the Lord uh, is the intermediate stop before resurrection, right? Therefore, here's our ambition. We have as our ambition, whether it's at home, in the body, or even absent, to be pleasing to him. Like, whether alive or dead, Paul says, like, my ambition is to please Jesus, uh, in this current body, or having died and gone to be with the Lord, here's the number one thing in my life. I just want to please Jesus. In fact, he goes on in verse 10 to say, we're actually all accountable for what we do while at home in this present body. He says in verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done in the body in accordance with what he has done whether good or bad. And so Paul here is playing off of uh, a very familiar experience in the city of Cor Corinth and really in big cities around the empire. It was an experience Paul himself had when he was in Corinth. You can read about it in Acts chapter 18. And that is having to go before the judgment seat of the proconsul. Acts 18, Paul was brought before the judgment seat of Gallio, the proconsul. And that was right in the heart of, of Corinth, in downtown Corinth, was this raised platform on which the proconsul would have a, his chair and he would issue uh, judgments, civil court and verdicts in cases where people, and Paul's case was actually tossed out of court there in Acts chapter 18. Paul takes that familiar imagery and says, guess what? We're all going to have that experience. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of King Jesus, not just a little lowly proconsul, but, and not even the emperor, but Jesus the King. That's what Christ means, anointed as Messiah and King. We're all going to have to appear before his judgment seat so that each of us will be repaid for what we've done in and through our body, whether good or bad. And so we're all accountable for what we've done in this life. And because of that, because we're all accountable, because Paul knows there is an eternal future, Paul knows he'll go to be with the Lord and he'll get a resurrection body. He says, man, my aim is to please Jesus in everything I've done. 
Now, before we leave this section, this paragraph, let me just offer a couple reflections. First, and that's there's hope for our body. <laughs> there's hope for our body. Yes, it doesn't always work right. Yes, it wears out and deteriorates. Um, yes, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Right now, it's just a little tent. But someday, there's going to be a supernatural, eternal building, a house made by God for us, an eternal body. And so there's hope for that. We're going to get a new glorified resurrection body um, that will be beyond our wildest dreams someday. Um, it'll be akin in some ways to Jesus's resurrection body. We'll be like him in the glory of his resurrection. And so there's hope for our body. Second reflection here is how for Paul, that hope fuels his faithfulness to his vocation, to his calling, to his ministry. It doesn't matter how difficult it is and how uh, overlooked and minimized uh, sometimes he is, how confusing sometimes his circumstances are, how much pain and suffering he endures. He aims to please Jesus and be faithful because he has this incredible, glorious hope. And really, all throughout the New Testament letters, um, Christian hope, or sometimes what's called eschatology, the study of last things, is not meant to be this speculative thing where we debate all, like, how's it going to all play out? It's primarily meant to fuel our faithfulness to Jesus. And so we see that here. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 15, where at the end of that chapter about resurrection, right? Be st steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. Here, Paul wants to please him in every way because he knows he's going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus. He knows his life is going to be evaluated, and he wants to please him in all of that. And so Christian hope is supposed to fuel Christian faithfulness. And so may it be so for you and for me. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Listener's Commentary on the New Testament. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowdfunded Bible teaching ministry that's made possible by the faithful and generous support of just a ton of people all around the world. And so from the bottom of my heart to those of you who support this ministry, let me just say a huge uh, shout of thanks to you. Uh, your generosity is having impact in thousands upon thousands of people's lives beyond what we could even measure. So thanks a ton for that. And if you want to join the team of supporters uh, and help this ministry continue to grow and flourish, you can do so by going to listenerscommentary.com clicking the Give button. It'll take you to a, a Give portal, which goes through a World Family Mission, a, a registered nonprofit. And so you can set up a, a an amount right there. You can click a little box that says Make This Monthly, or you can give it as a one-time donation right there. Let me say in advance, thanks a ton for your support.